Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. In all three of these parables, Jesus reminds us that God does not hate lost people. God does not hate sinners. Instead, God loves sinners. He searches for them, and He is overjoyed when He finds them. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. Imagine if you lost your wallet, your keys, maybe your phone. You wouldn't stop looking until you found it. And in much the same way, God is relentlessly searching for those who are not yet saved. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress discusses three powerful parables to discover how earnestly God seeks lost people. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David. As we look back on the last 12 months, I'm pleased to report that Pathway to Victory has experienced another season of extraordinary growth. Now, this is truly amazing because of the forces that have worked against us. Think back to what happened in our world. Over the last 12 months, we've experienced rising inflation, the war in Eastern Europe, and now an emerging battle over the sanctity of life. Any one of these pressures should have stopped or at least slowed down Pathway to Victory from moving forward. But God had different plans. And now we're postured for even greater growth because of our gospel advance matching challenge. As a result of this amazing gift of $500,000 from visionary friends, every dollar that's given between now and July 4th will be automatically matched and therefore doubled in size. And we're asking God to help us take advantage of this entire amount through generous people like you so that we can reach an even wider audience with the gospel. As a tangible way of saying thanks for your gift to The Matching Challenge, I'm going to send you the brand new children's book I've written for your family. It's a fully illustrated book called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. These 10 lessons from Jesus will help the children in your life grow in their faith as they understand more about God and His Word. Now, that's a lot of information. We'll share more details about these opportunities a bit later. But right now, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15 as we look at another favorite story from Jesus. I titled today's message, The Value of Lost Things. Perhaps the worst experience of my entire life occurred on a chapel choir tour. The year was 1978. Dr. Criswell had just hired me to be the youth minister here, and he said, Now, son, your first job is to go with that chapel choir in a couple of weeks to Russia. And they were going to take a tour of the Soviet Union. And he said, you'd get to know the kids on that tour. So Amy and I scrambled around for a passport. And we uh, left with the choir on that tour to the Soviet Union. And so we arrived at the airport. The kids went through the passport control. And the Soviet soldiers were there with their machine guns. And then the sponsors went through. And I was the last one to go through the passport control. So when it was my time, I reached into my pocket for my passport, and it wasn't there. And frantically, I searched my pants pocket. No passport. And so I went to the soldiers, explained my plight. They were unmoved by my pleading. Trust me. All of a sudden, there was a sponsor on the other side who began to laugh. 
and he reached into his pocket and pulled out my passport. (laughs) A couple of hours earlier on the bus to the airport, it had gotten loose from me and he picked it up and decided to have a little fun with me. (laughs) I'll assure you my thoughts were not holy at that moment. By the time I was reunited with my passport, what did I do with that passport? Did I throw it down in anger, disgust, and say, if you want to separate from me, so be it. I don't ever want to have anything to do with you again. No, there was a great sense of relief that came over me when I was reunited with my passport. I held on to that thing. I clung to that passport, and I vowed never to let it out of my sight again. You see... When we lose something of value, we don't hate it. Instead, we search for it, and we are overjoyed when we find it. Lost things have great value to us. Lost things have great value to God as well. And that's the theme of the parables we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15 as we discover the value of lost things Luke 15 contains perhaps the most famous of all of the parables that Jesus told. It was the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. But really, this story of the prodigal son is just the third of three parables that Jesus told, all of which had the very same theme. In all three of these parables, Jesus reminds us that God does not hate lost people. God does not hate sinners. Instead, God loves sinners. He searches for them, and he is overjoyed when he finds them. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. By the way, the setting, the context of this parable is not incidental. It's essential to understanding what Jesus is saying. Verse 1, now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Remember who the tax gatherers were? There were those Jews who had sold out to the Roman government and cheated their fellow Jews in order to collect taxes. The sinners were Gentiles, non-Jews in general. They were the ones who were being attracted to Jesus' ministry. Why is that? Well, the Pharisees, the Jews had rejected these people. The Pharisees said, God hates you. He wants to keep you out of heaven. But it was Jesus who said, God loves you. He wants you to come and be a part of his kingdom. We need to have the same compassion in our hearts toward those who are lost that Jesus had. That's why people were attracted to the Lord. They came to listen to him. Look at verse 2. But both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. By the way, God hates grumbling. And he hates grumblers. And they began to grumble and they said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. But what the Pharisees meant as a criticism, Jesus took as the supreme compliment. Because that was his mission in Luke 19.10. He said, that's why I came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And Jesus was simply reflecting the heart of God the Father. God the Father does not hate sinners. He loves them. He searches for them. And he is overjoyed when he finds them. And to drive that truth home, beginning in verse 3, he tells three parables. Look at verse 4. One is about a shepherd. 
What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? He leaves ninety-nine sheep to go search for that one lost sheep, and when he finds it, does he seek to punish it? Does he seek revenge? No. He loves that lost sheep, and he rejoices when he finds it. Verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And he goes on and he says in verse 8, what about a woman if she has 10 silver coins, verse 8, and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? She doesn't say to the coin, if you want to escape from me, so be it. I'll just keep the other nine. No, she searches for that which is lost. And in the same way, he says, what man, if he has two sons, if he loses a son, doesn't go and search for that lost son? God does not hate those who are lost. He loves them. He searches for them. And he's overjoyed when he finds them. Now, in all three of these parables, I find two common themes in all three. The first is the most obvious. In all three parables, Jesus is teaching us about the value of lost things. The second theme in these parables is the activity of a loving God. Notice that it is the one who has lost something that takes the initiative in all three of these passages in searching for that which was lost. It's not the sheep who wanders away, who one day awakens in a foreign pasture and says, you know what, these surroundings are not familiar. I think I'll go back home and get reunited with the shepherd. That's not how it works. It's the shepherd who takes the initiative in looking for the lost sheep. Even this father who has lost a son, we tend to emphasize what the son did to return to the father, but as we'll see in just a moment, it is the father who starts running toward the son. It's the same way with us. We don't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm lost, I think I want to be saved. It doesn't work that way. We are not the ones who take the initiative in our salvation. It is God who always takes the first step. Romans 5, 8 said, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners far away from God, Christ died for us. And that's the truth for all of us. We didn't go searching for Jesus. God came running after us. This idea that God loves sinners that he searches for them, that he rejoices when he finds them, those ideas were completely lost on the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were constantly teaching that God hates sinners, that he's trying to keep as many people as possible out of heaven. Jesus said no. God loves those who are lost. He searches for them, and he rejoices when he finds them. And to drive that truth home, Jesus tells this third climactic parable. Look at verse 11 with me. It's the story of a lost son. Notice how it starts. We have a lost sheep, we have a lost coin, and now the story of a lost son. And the story is told in four acts. Act 1 deals with the rebellion against the father. Verse 11. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. By the way, this story is not just about the son who leaves. This story is just as much about the son who stays and about the father's response to the son. 
Look at it with me, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, in the Middle Eastern culture, it was completely forbidden for a son to ever talk to his father about his inheritance. But this son violates that. And basically what he says to his dad, he comes to him one day and says, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not going to die anytime soon, I want you to go ahead and give me my share of the estate so I can get out of here. That request must have come like a knife into the father's heart. The inference is the father pleads with him, perhaps for several days, but finally, verse 12, he relents, and the father divided his wealth between his two sons. Verse 13, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and he went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, And he began to be in need. He lost it all. And so verse 15, he went and he attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. One can't imagine a more humiliating job for a young Jewish man than feeding the pigs. But that's what he was reduced to. In verse 16, it says, And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. And these events led to the second act in this story, the return of the son. Look at verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? My father's slaves have more than I have. And then he came up with a plan. Verse 18, this is what I'll do. I'll get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse. Just make me as one of your hired men. He thought to himself, surely my father will respond to this deal. Verse 20, and he got up and he came to his father. Remember I said this story is not so much about the rebellion of the son or even the return of the son as it is about the response of the father. Look at verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion for him and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Have you ever thought how coincidental it was that the father just happened to be standing on the front porch at just the moment that he saw his boy appear on the horizon? I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the inference is that for the weeks, months, perhaps years that the son had been away from home, every morning the father got up and thought, maybe today will be the day. And he would go out on the front porch and he would spend the time scanning the horizon, hoping against hope that possibly that boy would return home. But then on a morning that began just like any other of those days, he was standing there scanning the horizon when suddenly he saw that dot. And as that dot got larger and larger, he realized it was his boy coming home. What was his response? Look at verse 20. 
While he was standing a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son was walking. But when the father saw him, against all culture, a man of dignity would never run. But this man didn't care about dignity. His boy was coming home. So he lifted up his robe and he ran as fast as he could to meet his son. The Bible says he embraced him and he kissed him. Verse 21, and now the son was ready to begin his big speech he had rehearsed. The boy said, Father, I have sinned and I... And the father cut him off. He didn't want to hear any speeches. He didn't want to hear any deals. All he needed to hear were the words, I'm sorry. That's all it took. And the father yelled to his servants, verse 22, quickly bring out the best robe, the festival robe, the one for occasions like this, and put it on him, and put the signet ring, the ring of authority on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, for this son of mine was dead, and he's come to life again. He was lost, and he's been found, and they begin to be merry. The son who was lost had come home. Was the father angry? No, he had been searching, waiting for his return. This would have been a great place to end the story. But had Jesus ended the story here, we would have missed the point of the story. This story is not only about the response of the loving father, but also the reaction of the older brother. The fourth and final act begins in verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring about what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was unwilling to go in. Remember, Jesus told this story to silence the criticism of the Pharisees who criticized Jesus for receiving sinners. If the younger son represents sinners and Gentiles who were being saved, the father represented God, this older brother is representative of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who criticized Jesus for loving sinners. And what I want you to notice here is instead of coming in and being a co-host with his father, as was his obligation, instead, this older son was unwilling to go into his father's house and enjoy the celebration. Now, here's the point. This older son, because of his self-righteousness, was just as much outside his father's house as that younger son had been when he was living in the distant country. Both were outside the father's house. And notice his complaint. Verse 28, his father came out and began entreating him, begging him, saying, come in. But look, verse 29, the older son's complaint. But he answered and he said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you And I've never neglected the command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth and harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. If we're honest, as we read this story, we sympathize a little bit with the older brother, don't we? 
After all, he had spent his whole life doing everything his dad asked him to do. Never complaining, just doing what he was asked to do. And then this younger son hurts his father, just about kills him, takes his portion of the wealth, wastes it, and now he's welcomed back into the family and reinstated in his place as a son. That doesn't seem fair. But notice what God is saying to us. He's saying whether it is because of blatant sin or because of subtle self-righteousness, both people are outside the Father's house. Notice how the Father responds. He says in verse 31, And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. I haven't done you any wrong. I gave you two-thirds of the estate. It's yours. Verse 32, But we had to be merry and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost, and now he's been found. As I look at this parable of the lost son, I really find that it has two specific appeals, two invitations. First of all, there is an invitation Jesus extends to those of you who, like the younger son, are living apart from God. You would say, Robert, there is no way God could ever Forgive me for what I've done. If you find yourself in that place, remember God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he set into motion the ultimate rescue plan in sending Christ, his son, to die on the cross for you. If you will just take the first step toward God, he'll come running to meet you. But there's a second appeal in this invitation It's for those of us who might be more like the older brother. Perhaps you're someone who would say, well, I'm not perfect. I've got my faults. But thank God I don't do drugs and I'm not involved in immorality. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like these other people. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, unless you realize you are just as guilty as the worst sinner of all time, until you come to that point in your life, You can never be in a position to receive the gift of forgiveness that God wants to give you. What about you? You see, this parable is an invitation to anyone who is outside the Father's house. Either because of blatant sin in your life or because of subtle self-righteousness. The invitation is the same. Come home to the Father who loves you. At Pathway to Victory, we have a growing passion to reach the lost. Jesus died for sinners. He paid the ultimate price for your life and mine. And it's our joy to share this message of forgiveness with anyone who's ready to come home to the Father who loves us. And as we conclude today's program, I'm inviting you to link arms with us and support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory with a generous gift toward the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. July 4th is the deadline for receiving your special gift. And when you give a generous gift of any amount today, it will have twice the impact. A $50 gift becomes $100. A $1,000 gift becomes $2,000. Some are able to give $10,000. It would be matched until it became $20,000. Whatever the size of your gift, God can use your gift to reach people all across our country and around the world. Controversies around the sanctity of life, 
The surging cost of gas and the protection of our children in public schools have left our country deeply divided. The chaos of these ongoing battles feels foreboding, but the hope of the gospel shines even more brightly. And our troubled nation needs this hope and truth today more than ever before. So please give generously toward the matching challenge. As a way of saying thank you, I'm prepared to send you a brand new book I've written for your family. It's a fully illustrated children's book called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. This book will equip you with a creative tool to sit down with the child in your life and share 10 lessons from Jesus about life and hope. Again, this book is yours when you give generously to the matching challenge. Please give us a call, write a letter, or go online to ptv.org to take advantage of this remarkable opportunity to double the impact of your gift. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to support this ministry, we'll send you a copy of the brand new children's book by Dr. Jeffress called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 Or you could also visit our website at ptv.org. When your gift is $75 or more, we'll also include the complete unedited CD and DVD sets from our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. And because of our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, any gift you give today will be doubled in impact, meaning there's never been a better time to give to Pathway to Victory. Call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. A lot of our listeners prefer to write, so here's that mailing address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time when Dr. Jeffress presents a message called How firm is your foundation? Join us again Friday for Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.